0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Episode of the Shreddycast. Cast again joined with Mike to discuss our all-time Manchester United eleven. Now this is uh, a slightly different podcast. We've asked people on Twitter to submit their 11s and we we'll go through a few of those. But I think it, it, it's it's not just based on players that we've seen. So we're kind of cheating here. We're talking about players that we reckon in an all eleven would make the greatest Manchester United team. And that's not just based on, say, I think this right back is better than this right back. We'll have reasons for each election, so we'll go through that. Mike, how are you? How are you keeping? Yeah, yeah, good.
1: Managed to avoid dying, which unfortunately 33,000 people have in the UK, but hey, there we go. Uh, but I'm OK.
0: Things are a bit uncertain right
1: now. I feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of losing track of what day of the week it is. I basically managed to set up, work out what day it is by A, what workout I'm on during this week and then B, when we're doing this podcast because I know that's always a Thursday.
0: Thursday, yeah. And of course then on, on, on Wednesdays you submit your icons of Old Trafford column yes. which this week touched on, on Dennis Law.
1: Yeah, it's the, the sort of like a, a series within a series doing those three. Best, Laura and Charlton, the Holy Trinity, we talked about them last week. Law was a really interesting... Uh, guy to look into as I said last week because I knew the least about him of the three and I think that probably goes to a lot of a lot of people Um, but he's a really really interesting guy you know uh, and uh, an incredible player and an incredible part of a team and I said this last week English football in the 1960s is I think the most competitive that the game has ever been in this country and the quality of players was unheard of to have Three Ballon d'Or winners in one team is just ludicrous. In any year, it's absolutely crazy. And you know, people may say, "Well, they only won two league titles in the 1960s." Considering there were eight different league champions in that decade, to win two league titles is a very, very good achievement.
0: Absolutely, and I think well, when we, that's what gave us the kind of the inspiration to do this podcast today. Was discuss our 11 because we said last week how could you do an all-time Manchester 11 and not have those three in it now I know some people have submitted their suggestions on Twitter they've based it on players that they've only seen so when we go through that we'll explain that Um, goalkeeper Mike I think we're going to agree on this one Um, it's something that's kind of popped up a lot whilst we're in lockdown with debates on social media people having kind of reminiscing about the old old and golden days Mm -hmm. and which Manchester goalkeeper was the best and I, I I don't think it's it, it it's really a clear cut argument. I, I think there's an argument for, for both contenders. There's only two for me. Um Mike, who have you gone with?
1: I've gone with Edwin Van der Sar. It was okay. it was a tough one to, to go for, but um Schreinke was a brilliant goalkeeper, but I think Van der Sar just had the edge on Schmeichel. Um maybe made one or two less mistakes, just a bit of a cool ahead. Um like I said, very, very difficult one to choose between those two. And I mean, I, I'm sure some older fans may have come across this, may going to stick their hand up and say, someone like Alex Stepney, for instance, who was mm. a brilliant goalkeeper, um, didn't play for England that much, but that was because he had Peter Benetti and Gordon Banks. But Edwin yeah, Van der Sar, man, he was one of the top three goalkeepers in the world. If pretty you look much at up his, until he if, retired.
0: If you look at his records, I believe some of them are still standing as the best yeah. within the Premier League in the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, so he um, broke
1: Petr Cech's record, I think, for the consecutive clean sheets. And yes. Petr Cech was a, an all-time sort of great goalkeeper in his own right as well.
0: But, but I think you mentioned that he made few, some fewer mistakes than Schmeichel. And I think the, yeah. the, one, the one argument people could put, put forward is you very rarely see Edwin van der Zahr, um pull off, say, photographer-esque saves because he didn't have to... Um, his positional sense as a goalkeeper was, was probably the best I've ever seen. Um, he was in the yeah. right place. And, and, and that kind of calm, mind you mentioned, that's big in a team for the, for the defence in front of him to have that kind of calm head. Schmeichel is who I picked. Um, for a number of reasons. When, when, I, when I picked this, I wanted my United team to kind of... Be, be, quick on, be quick on the front foot, be quick on the attack. And Schmeichel's throwing ability, as well as his all-round goalkeeping ability, was second to none. Yeah. And he was able to start counter quicker than, than any goalkeeper I've seen.
1: I think he was a template in many ways for a modern goalkeeper, Peter Schmeichel. Didn't always get it right, but um, he was one of the f- few goalkeepers who adapted very quickly to the back-pass rule. Um, and when he was in the Premier League, it was it was weird, there wasn't that many, I would have said, world class players in the Premier League at that point, but he was definitely one. I think David Seaman actually was another. Um but yeah, I mean I went for Van der Sar, but if somebody went for Peter Smikel, I really wouldn't argue with that at all. I think they're both extremely valid choices. It's so close between the two. Tell so us the rest of
0: your
1: team. So I've gone for a four three three. I think you've done the same as well. Yeah. Um I personally think four three three is
0: I think it's the best system in terms of it provides flexibility. Um, and especially with the midfield players that I think we're going to pick. You're going to need that flexibility in, yeah. in the centre.
1: Provides a solidity as well. But yeah, the flexibility, the way you can transition quickly with a 4 um, 3 And it's also dependent on how you line it up. The thing like a 4 you can change it to a four two three one, is it allows you to keep dribblers in your team and not compromise any kind of defensive solidity If for was getting into the tactical element of it. And, um, listen, so, uh, you know, in the end for probably the last 12, 12 years or so, it was kind of a formation Ferguson went with, really, mm. once Kieros got to the club.
0: Oh, uh, so, right back and the rest of the fence, I assume you went with Gary Neville.
1: No, I didn't. <laughs> So I went with Paul Parker, which is a little bit of a personal choice of mine. Paul Parker, a lot of people may not remember Paul Parker because Gary Neville was a brilliant right back, and he's just to sort of jump ahead a bit. Gary Neville's on my bench; he's on the subs bench. Um, Paul Parker, his issue was was he had issues with his fitness, but when he was fit, he was the best right back in the country. Um, he dislodged; he was in. He was first choice for England in 1990. He went in his second choice behind Gary Stevens, the guy who was first choice fullback for Everton, title-winning team in '84 to '86, and played for Rangers. And playing for Rangers in the late '80s, early '90s was actually playing for a very, very good team. And Parker dislodged him. He was great going forward. He was a fearsome tackler, brilliant man marker. Could play centre half as well. We talked about that Champions League game against Barcelona a few weeks ago. Paul Parker played centre half in that game, and match from Mario out of most of that game. I mean, it was quite an incredible feat that he pulled off. He, he was a really, really good player and a key part of United's first great team as well.
0: He titled his book, Tackles Like a Ferret. I think that's a quote from Alex Ferguson that he, he, he was renowned for his defensive ability um, and his tackling. A little uh, bit like Aaron
1: Wan-Bissaka, actually.
0: The second coming of Paul Parker.
1: Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. And that's not a bad thing. He really underrated, disgracefully overlooked by Graham Taylor as well, and he became the manager, like picked everyone ahead of him. You know, picked uh Jones from the Liverpool, Lee Dixon, Stevens, just everyone. And then it was quite funny because then he went into Euro ninety two, Graham Taylor, and all these other right backs got injured and he had to play centre half and he went out in the group stage. Um and then England didn't qualify for the World Cup about a year after that. So uh yeah, I'd say not being picked by Graydon Taylor probably a ringing endorsement, to be honest.
0: And what's the rest of your defence?
1: So I've got real Ferdinand in there. I think it's hard to, to not have real Ferdinand in the defence. I think he's brilliant. I, I noticed in a few of the lineups that I saw that people submitted, he wasn't in it. And I just wonder with Ferdinand, it's nothing to do with his footballing ability. Maybe some of the stuff that was around him, maybe stuff that he said as a pundit. Or the whole con- contract situation that we had in about two thousand and six or so as well, I think uh, pissed off a lot of United fans. But he was I, a brilliant centre half. I think I think I think he's the best
0: centre back English football has seen.
1: Yes, definitely. I, I, I would say so. Um and you know, he's got a lot of good company there when I mean, you look at people like going back through the years, people like Tony Adams, Bobby Moore, yeah. uh, Duncan Edwards who started that was a centre half as well. Um, and then in beside him we have got Martin Buchan who I basically pulled out old games and stuff um, he was captain of United for pretty much all the time that he was at the club he was a world class player who was probably too good for that United team that he was in at the time although to be fair when they got promoted um, United were actually pretty good for the first couple of years that they got promoted when they got back into the first division The Tommy in. Tommy Doherty wasn't a lot of people might know that Tommy Dockett wasn't sacked for footballing reasons. He was sacked for having an affair <laughs> with the wife of, I think, the physio or the
0: club secretary or something like that. And he just had to go. We most was... died. Most died that he's still married to that woman today.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think that's very important to add. But it, it was such a scandal back then that they, they got rid of him, which is a little bit of a shame. Because Tommy Dockerty actually did a really good job at picking the club back up at quite an important time. Martin Buckingham was... Quite similar to Rio Fernand, I suppose, in many ways. Really classy um, operator, wonderful pass of the ball, could marshal the defence. Um, there was one clip that I saw where one of his defenders went errant, marking someone and throwing, and he basically clipped <laughs> him around the ear. I can't remember who it was, it was one of his teammates, just clipped him around the ear. Um, but a really good player, and a, an interesting guy as well, very, very clever man didn't have much time for media nonsense, was once asked after a match for a quick word, and he replied with velocity and then walked off. Um so <laughs> that's that Martin Buckingham real Ferdinand defence, which I think is a pretty good defence, and then Daddy Irwin, Couldn't not have Danny Sewin in there. A brilliant, brilliant fullback. Like I mean, you could put Denny Sewin at right back in this team as well, and it really wouldn't be a big deal. He was fantastic. Hardly ever seemed to get injured. The only time I ever remember him being injured was when he was on the receiving end of that horrendous suckle against Final by Paul Boswell that broke his leg. It was the only injury I ever remember Danny Serving getting. He never missed a game. Didn't have an agent. So basically, he would just sort out contracts himself. Um, incredibly reliable. Um,
0: I think you know. the, the the big thing with one, which is the reason he's in my team as well, um, I've gone for players that I kind of I believe are good professionals in my team. Um, and, and that's something that... When Raikin ever speaks about Dennis Irwin, he's at the top of his list every time. he, Every time he speaks about him, it's total praise for his professionalism, how he gave 8 out of 10 every week. He's just a reliable player. So when, he, when when the argument was brought up on a documentary with ITV, um, Patrick Vieira uh, yeah, and Raikin get their, their all-time 11, he just would not have it that you couldn't have Dennis Irwin not in the team. Yeah,
1: Paul because Parker was in Roy Key's
0: team as well. He was. You're right. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, so that goes to show. You, I think you 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 come along the lines too. I know Rio had his past with with, with talks with Peter Kenyon and Chelsea was spotted meeting them in a restaurant apparently, and 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 that made things sour. But I, I I can't get away from the fact that he was the best defender I've seen play live. Um, a fucking unbelievable defender. So cool with the ball at his feet. Uh, and aware and alert and, uh, at the right times and mm. I think you haven't met, mentioned Village neither have I in my team which I'll go through after yours almost but,
1: got
0: in there almost yeah. got in there but I, I, I always thought that R- Rio Ferdinand was the one that got the best out of out of, out of Village but that's, that's, that's to no discredit to to the Serbian because I believe he won Player of the Year t- two years whilst that you know in the Premier League, which yeah for, for a, a defender is remarkable, you know.
1: He was also sort of the main guy in a Serbian defense, which for qualifying for the, I think the World Cup in Germany, mm. they didn't concede a single goal. Yeah, know, I, think, just... I
0: think I think the the Liverpool media make me laugh because they they throw up those um the gifts and and they they always mention the. Torres getting the better out of him once or twice it it almost seems especially in this lockdown people reflect on players careers they forget how great some of these players were and like you're picking out two instances one or two instances from a player's career and how many games played for United fucking loads you ought to be a top top quality defender now, do, do, do Liverpool
1: want the list of, of quite substandard United midfielders who managed to have Steven Gerrard in their back pocket? Do they, is that what they want as a response? i will yeah. give them Anderson. Anderson marks Gerrard out of two games that I remember. Exactly,
0: yeah, in his first season. So, yeah, so you're midfield and you've, show, you've shown your goalkeeper and, and defence. Yeah, who, who are your three midfielders?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll just quickly go over the goalkeeper defence. So, Van in goal, Paul Parker right back, Danny Suim in left back, Martin Buchanan and Real Fernandes at the back. Um, so, I've got Michael Carrick kind of at the base of a midfield three, which might surprise some people. I genuinely think one of the best midfielders that I've ever seen, certainly that England have ever had. And that's not an exaggeration. He is as good and up there and worthy as being talked about with people like Scholes and Lampard, Gerrard, Brian Robson. He's that good. Um, Disgracefully overused by successive England managers who didn't understand how to build a balanced team they just pick a bunch of big names and chuck them in there. Where it- if you're building an actual balanced team, Carrick makes the first 11 of any England team without any question. And it was he seemed to be more appreciated in Europe and by Manchester United. But even a lot of United fans didn't seem to really appreciate how good he was. But in Europe, they thought very, very highly of him. And I guarantee you, had he not ended up at United when he was at Spurs, I think he would have ended up going to Europe instead. Uh, of going to United, but played over 500 games for United. Was won five? What was it? Five league titles. Mm-hmm. Played in three European Cup finals. Won one of them. Incredible footballer. Absolutely unbelievable. So intelligent. Can operate as a deep line playmaker or simply a holding midfielder. The way he read the game, his distribution, his anticipation, his positional sense was incredible. I think Louis van Gaal once described him as a coach on the on the football field. And I suspect in Mourinho, Sam, you get the feeling Mourinho thought, God, I wish Carrick was just maybe two or three years younger because he would have been the first choice of Mourinho in the midfield. Great player. And then I've got him in with Roy Keane and Bobby Chant in the midfield.
0: I think your your mention of Carrick is interesting because when we spoke about this last week, I stressed that I kind of wanted a team based on elements like that. You mentioned balance and how England ignored that with Carrick for fucking so long throughout his whole career, really. Less um, than 40 to...
1: caps for England.
0: Yeah, which is absolutely crazy. I, and I, I agree, another country would have got way more appreciation. Um, the other midfielders you went with was Charlton and Keane, correct?
1: Yes, so Charlton really provides the goals and the attacking thrust in the midfield. But Keane, and I think pre-hip problem Keane, um, functions also can function when United are on the front foot, as an extra attacker, because he did get goals from midfield, Roy Keane, um, but could also operate as, when you're talking about flexibility, he would also be able to, he could sit in there with Carrick and help dictate and mop up in front of the defence as well. Keane was a great all-round midfield player. And then Bobby Charlton, who is, I said this before, the best footballer England have ever produced, I think, just brilliant. I mean, you look at his record, it's absolutely astonishing. He won the Ballon d'Or once, finished second once, I think, as well. I remember you mentioned him. Yeah. Um, great player, um, great professional. You know, he was a, if you watch him, you watch him in games, an incredible athlete. His um, stamina and his conditioning was unbelievable. You watch that European Cup final against Benfica, bear in mind that game runs into extra time. And bear in mind this is a game where he didn't get as many water breaks and stoppages, and where the tackles are much fiercer, he just never stops,
0: never yeah, stopped
1: in no, that no, game, and he really po- underpinned England in that World Cup winning uh, team as well,
0: I think On the podcast two weeks ago, Alex Stephanie spoke about the final against Benfica, and how when it got into to extra time they were all wrecked, and, and the heat and everything, they weren't used to it but he remembers just at the beginning of, the, the, of extra time he got the ball and he, tried to, he he didn't know who to throw to because all the players were out of engine, really. And there was no one shown for the ball. So he turned the ball to his fullback, Shea Brennan, who gave the ball back to him because he didn't want it. And he, Alex definitely didn't want didn't want to hoof the ball up the pitch, but he was left with no other choice. So he hoofed the ball up the pitch and it ended up with, with George Best scoring a goal. But afterwards, Shea Brennan tells, or he told a story about Shea Brennan, stood up and Kind of said, did you all see my assist for the for the goal in, in, in extra time? So he was kind of taking a claim for it, but but they were all breathing out of their arses at that stage, really, and they're delighted to get it get it over the line. Um. So yeah, you you you've shown your midfield. My my midfield has one of the players you mentioned, and before I name out mine, I'm slightly tempted to change one of them for a player that you. It's mentioned.
1: Too late. No, it's too late. You it's a too late.
0: It's a too late. Yeah. Okay, it's too late. So your forwards then, Mike. Front three, uh, Wayne
1: Rooney, which I'm sure will prove controversial. I l- fought long and hard between him and Ronaldo, and Ronaldo's on the bench. But I've gone for Rooney, providing a bit of balance, the work rate. Prime Rooney, we discussed before recording, 24, 25 years old was when he was at his peak, it was just incredible and mm-hmm. would literally appear anywhere and everywhere on a field. And if I think I've put sort of Charlton on the left of the three, you've got Rooney on the left of the front three, and then Dennis Irwin on the left of the back four. I mean, I wouldn't want to be anyone going up against them when they decide they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna team up on you. Um but it provides a lot of flexibility. Rooney's um delivery as well, is crossing. I remember that that period where United played with Rooney Ronaldo and Tevez, And Rooney often played on the left of the three. um, With Ronaldo kind of floating around. Or him and Ronaldo would switch. And Rooney's... So many times, Rooney put these incredible crosses into the box. I remember there was one game... I can't remember... I think it might have been against Newcastle. He plays this ball. I think it's off the outside of his foot. And he's playing it into the box. Like sort of going across like a teasing ball. And you're thinking, who's that going to? And then I think Ronaldo appears out of nowhere... And puts it in. And I'm like, I didn't see that. The defenders didn't see that. I was at this game. Mm-hmm. The fans, none of the fans there saw that. How the hell did he see that? It was incredible. Yeah. Rooney, really, his prime was an unbelievable player. Um, George Best. I couldn't have George Best in there. Unability, um, the best player you know, it maybe ever had, I think, just on ability, And certainly the best, I would say, the best player to ever come out of the United Kingdom uh, and the Republic of Ireland, if you're sort of grouping them together because they tend to be similar sorts of players and players in the same way and they share a lot of the youth systems, um, I think best is maybe the best there's ever been. And then Dennis Law up front, so our best Law and Shelton in there uh, is three Ballon d'Or winners. <laughs> Although technically I have left the Ballon d'Or winner on the bench. Yeah. But um, I've gone for the, the sort of balance. I thought I wasn't going to go with best and Ronaldo, so I went for one. I went for best in the end. And Dennis Law up front, who just just ruthless, absolutely ruthless. And one of the things in my team, and it's probably the same in yours, there's a lot of big characters in this team yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you when you yeah. looked at it. But um, then there's also some you know big, maybe not all like shouting kind of characters, but big characters who would lead, if not by words, then lead lead by deeds. I think about people like Charlton and Carrick and, and Dennis Owen. Uh, even Paul Park you may not think their lead
0: is but they led by example led yeah, by example yeah exactly I, 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 I'll go through some of my players there and we'll talk But the ones that, that weren't mentioned i go with Peter Schmeichel in goal Gary Neville right back Rio Ferdinand and Duncan Edwards the centre back Irwin left back a midfield trio of Bex Charlton and Robson and a front trio of Ronaldo Law and Best Um and just as I begin to talk about my team the the lawnmower has arrived. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we'll carry on anyway. The lawnmower man. The lawnmower man. So yeah, I've mentioned Duncan Edwards in, in, in my defence. Um, obviously a player I've not seen, obviously a player you haven't seen, Mike. But, but to me, growing up and listening to the stories of Manchester United, he was like this mythical god and he remains that because it's kind of a story of what he could have been. Died age 21. Astonishingly, after making 177 appearances for United at that age, 18 caps for England, he had it all. He could play anywhere on the pitch. He was versatile. So I think having that kind of option in your defence and in your team is huge. Obviously, there's a little bit of kind of, people could argue, of course, well, there's other defenders out there that made more appearances for United, one more, and so on. But the story of Duncan Edwards can't be ignored, and... Just a, a player as well. I've mentioned in my team, Charlton. We both mentioned. He said there was never been a player that made him feel inferior, uh, and that's who he was talking about, Duncan Edwards. And I think having a character like that, I think pretty much every player in my team would feel inferior to him. Um, yeah, yeah. He was. I
1: think comparable players would be people like Beckenbauer, Kuhn. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh. Th- th- those those kind of players like Argenthaler. You know, even someone like Gunter Netzer, I think, you know, that that kind of can play in a number of different roles. You know, very very difficult to um, pigeonhole a player like that. I mean, he would have been, I think, had he carried on, he would have been, he would have played as a libero essentially, or yeah. as, a, as a as a sweeper, because that was sort of the era where that was coming into vogue, really. Uh, Just was just after he died. And I think, you know, he would have been one of those players because he almost had to invent a role for him in the team.
0: Yeah, no, I I remember reading stories about Jimmy Murphy and and I think he used to tell players, like, orders what to do on the pitchers, Matt Busby as well. I remember reading something with, with, with Duncan Edwards. He didn't really have much explaining because he just... He, he knew what to do. He was advanced as a footballer. He was way ahead of his time, and it's a shame that his his career was cut so, so short. A tragedy. Uh, and another player that you didn't mention it's in my starting lineup is David Beckham. And uh, one of the bigger reasons for this is, whatever you can say, whatever you want about the circus he created off the pitch, but he was always professional on it. He always gave a hundred percent, and I think that's why he's such kind of a model figure now, because he is someone people, especially nowadays, should look up to footballers because. There is that element to being a footballer, being flashy. He, he He's he's the epitome of that, pretty much. But he's always had his football first. Um, always had his football first. Had a great career. At Manchester United, he's in my team with Gary Neville behind him, which is a, an understanding Man United fans will, can reminisce yeah. about. The overlapping technique. And I think that that's what I'm thinking about when I'm putting Bex in my midfield. Bex's delivery, when you've got some of the, the three forwards I've picked, and Ronaldo long best. If he's picking balls out, you're going to have a field day. Um, and just quickly, another, another midfielder I went with beside Charlton is Robson. Um, the one I was going to take out, actually, because I had seen so much more of Keane. Um, I, but I think both, both, both figures add that kind of fiery element to, to United's midfield, which as a fan, I love I love seeing that in my team. If, if a player has been a bit of fire about him. the problem in recent years at United, some of the fire players we've had just haven't been good enough. Um, the likes of Ander Herrera had a fire about him. does not belong in the same sentence. Some of these players we're talking about here, but yeah, Robson as an engine as well. Like, it doesn't matter really which options you pick that I don't pick that we can disagree with because at the end of the day, you're picking an all time man United at 11, it's gonna be fucking amazing anyway, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? We're arguing here, Keen Robson. Players <laughs> being left out, scores. Ronaldo, Rooney. You know, it, it, it's crazy. And then up up front, I've gone with Ronaldo, Law and Best. Now, I had to have Ronaldo on my team he, because he's the best player I've seen. Um, he just fucking explains that one league titles, but United took us to, to, the, to the pinnacle of, of European football, two finals. And I went on to, to dominate Europe again with Real Madrid. Um, Law, Best, my three forwards have won Ballon d'Ors. Yeah, uh, it's not many defence are going to cope with that.
1: No, no, I um, I, I like I said, it's a little bit like the Schmeichel thing. I, I, I don't have any arguments with putting Ronaldo instead of Rooney if someone wanted to yeah. do that. I mean, yeah. on my bench, I've got Peter Schmeichel, obviously. Uh, Brian Robson is on my bench. I had to have him there. He was sort of one of the early players that I remember watching. Now I watched him towards the end of his career, and he was still very, very good. Brilliant footballer, passer of the ball, fantastic. Could score goals as well. Brian Robson, he was England's star player really throughout the 1980s. He was England's like main man. Um, David Beckham is on my bench. You talk about professionalism, professionalism in the statistics. He retired at 38 years old, still playing at the top level in European football as a first pick player. Tells you everything you need to know. You know, you've gone about the circus and stuff, but I think a lot of it was almost a smoke screen and kind of obscured how good he was. He never liked that interfere with Ever keeping known. himself in shape, with his training. I and mean, you can tell how good his training was because he may be not as naturally gifted as even some of the other players he came through with at United, but his intelligence and his commitment and his. Desire to be better and to keep pushing himself to new levels is what got him over the top. Uh, uh, yeah, a great player again could easily you could play him in the, You could play him in a central midfield free quite easily. He would allow flexibility as well as playing in a four four two or even further forward like a 4-2-3-1 because he'd get goals as well. Yeah, his, man, his free kicks I think, were. I, he was, I think he, he was one of the best free kick takes of the era. I still think the best I've seen there was a guy who used to play for Lazio called Mihailovic. He just used to hit ludicrous free kicks all the time. <laughs> but Beckham was a good free kick taker. Ganny Neville's on the bench. Ronaldo's on the bench. I've got Cantona on the bench. Canson is the first great player I ever remember watching. And he was one of the other very few, what I would say is a world-class player, that was playing in the Premier League at the time that he was around. And uh, the French journalists will tell you that, even though he he, he had fallen down and didn't make it to the French team in the end, that he was a world-class player.
0: He doesn't quite make my bench, and probably the reason for that is I just missed Cantona. Um, when I was growing up, and I idolise a player I left out in my starting lineup for for Dennis Law, in being Van Nistelrooy. Um, he 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 was my chalk and chief growing up. I remember being a kid, uh, and the news coming in that he'd left for for Real Madrid, and it reduced me to tears. Um, I I love Van Nisselroy so. I He's was amazing. furious
1: when I heard that at the time. I was like, What the hell are they selling in for? But uh, I mean <laughs> it was the right call in the end. Yeah. It was yeah. just the time for him to move on. But his goal scoring record, what was it a uh, hundred and fifty
0: one goals in like less than two hundred and twenty games? Something ludicrous just, like that. Just lead he had this instinct that you know, from watching Van Persie had had the same thing too, that when he when when Van Nistelrooy got the ball inside the box he just fancied him to score every, every time. He just always were confident that he put the ball in the back of the net. And the same thing with Van Persie. Because I remember one of his first goals for United, um, he kind of took it, whatever way he turned, he crossed his body and just whacked it into the top corner. And it was that instinct. He only had half a chance to yeah. hit into the back yeah, of the net. Yeah, he was
1: technically brilliant as well. If you actually go through a lot of goals that Van Nistelrooy scored, they weren't all tap-ins. They were goals that required incredible amounts of technique and skill. I mean... Yeah, When my dad, both my parents saw him, when they watched him, they just instantly said Van Basten. That was what they said when they saw him. He's Marco Van Basten. And yeah. Marco Van Basten, by all accounts, I just missed him because by the time I remember starting watching football, his injuries had pretty much ended his career. I think he, he retired at 29. But by everyone who watched him was one of the best centre forwards that has ever played. Marco Van Basten, if you watch clips of him, incredible. There's one person I've forgotten to mention who was on my bench, which is Paul McGrath. Mm. Um, so Vidic didn't make my bench in the end. I originally had Vidic in the starting line, and I went, no, I put him onto the bench of Buckingham and then I thought, oh, God, I remember watching Paul McGrath. And this is when he was at Villa. So by the time I remember watching United, Paul McGrath had been moved out of the club by Ferguson, um, who I think he moved Norman Whiteside out of the club as well because he wanted to break up the drinking club. And Paul McGrath's problems of alcoholism are well documented. Uh, You know, it's it's a miracle that not only is he um, alive today, but he's actually an intellectually fully functioning human being when you look at the problems he had. A lot of McGrath's problems stem from his upbringing. He he had a really, really tough time when he was a kid. Um, But I remember him at Villa, um, the first season United won the league, and he won the player of the year. He won player mm-hmm. of the year. Defenders, how he ever win that award? He could play left back, he could play centre half. He was an incredible player on the incredible passer of the ball, could dribble, was a great tackler, his positional sense. He he had everything. And um, the man
0: the man that uh, took him to Villa, Ryan Atkinson, deserves is is a lot of credit, I think, because he, he put him he, he put him under his wing. He had him at United, he had him at Villa. Um and I think people talk about begra and obviously here in Ireland. McGrath is a loved figure um, from, from his efforts with the international team. But it's really sad how it all turned out and how it didn't work out at United. And then it took Ron Atkinson to take him at Villa and kind of give him that guidance that I suppose it didn't help him in the wrong, long run because he still had his problems. But it, I'm sure it helped him some way to have someone that, that could support him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It did. Um, but like I said, I think even in, in the end, those problems were beyond atkinson it's kind of the argument that people might oh, call would gascoigne's life have turned out definitely had a no yeah yeah yeah. he had yeah. serious mental health yeah. issues i think people and seem to think needed... that alcoholism which is just basically a
0: turn on and turn off button you know what i mean it's, it's yeah
1: like... and, I, and i i listen gascoigne's problems go beyond alcoholism um uh someone i know who is a, a clinical psychologist PhD says he has all the symptoms of both bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder before you even then throw the alcoholism in there. So, um, you know, the difference, obviously, with McGrath, who um, managed to recover, and Gascoigne never has, is that McGrath is a much more intelligent guy than Gascoigne is. To be quite blunt, if you watch an interview with Paul Gascoigne at any point, and you watch an interview with Paul McGrath, um, or you, anyone who's read Paul McGall's autobiography which is a fantastic one of the best football books I've ever read. um he is a really sharp interesting guy who has you, you know he he he's not a moron and in the end that's what got him got him through and I mean would you say he's one of the best players Ireland has ever produced? I yeah. Mean, everyone I know yeah. who's, who watched him regularly my dad said he's one of the best players he's ever seen.
0: Yeah, but it's I like, quite it, like something. So- when we started the podcast, we did an interview around Atkinson, and he said he was the best defender England's ever seen in terms of Premier League and that. Um, anyone here now will put him up there would probably the best player to play with the, played for the country. I know a few and people the, who said he
1: was as good as Maldini, that he was that good. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well,
0: I, 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 I think you, if you go through the best Ireland players, people would argue Roy Keane, Paul McGrath, and there could be maybe two or three others that might spring up in debate, but... Um, Paul McGrath he's loved here in Ireland. When he when he features on the the late late show, which is a Friday night show here in the country, um, it it nearly gets news bulletins. You know, it's our our pet is is, is talking to the. To, to he's the got country. one of the
1: driest senses of humour I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, we we we,
0: <laughs> we 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 we've done an interview with Paul in the past, um, and Jonathan who who went to meet him could only speak highly. Just a warm personality, a nice guy, and. Um, it, 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 I must read that book. I have the book, but it's 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 a, it's a sad read. Um, yeah. My bench, my bench in full. Um, again, I, f- I found the bench actually harder than the team to put together because it's
1: hard, <laughs> because
0: it, it, it's a it's a bench and I don't know. But anyway, I went with Van der Sar, Yapstam, Nemanja Vidić, Patrice Evra, Wayne Rooney, Paul Scholes, and Van Nistelrooy. Now, controversially, in the back of my mind, said, how can I make this team and not. Put Ryan Giggs in for all for, for all it's the most. No Ryan Giggs in mine Yeah, and I don't. I, I just. Don't, I'm also changing. not gonna pull
1: skulls in mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's leaving leaving out leaving out players like that. It's it's an impossible ask. It's an impossible ask for any Manchester United fan to do this team and to be 100 percent convinced that's the one, that's the one. Yeah. Because I'm sure if we did this next year, we probably have uh, maybe a different formation, maybe not a different formation, but we might have different um, views on who get in. definitely the most interesting shout I think of this is your inclusion for Michael Carrick and it's not one I disagree with I can totally see your reasons for for putting them in but it's just I think people are thinking of the players that have gone by the Roy Keynes, and the Scholes some players being left out I
1: distinctly remember Pep Guardiola saying that Michael Carrick was one of the best midfield players he felt one of the best midfield players in the world and um Several of the Spain lads said that about him as well.
0: What would he know? What would Guardiola know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, what would he know about a good midfielder? It's <laughs> just pretty much packs an entire team with them. Um, and, exactly. Well, that, that's it. If you were comparing, Carrick is a very similar footballer to Guardiola, actually. And someone else I mentioned, Chabi Alonso as well, who, you know, but yeah, Carrick was, for me, it was balance. Carrick gives you balance. And Carrick, I think England would have been, I'm not saying they would have won anything, but I think they would have been a better team had Michael Carrick been a first pick for them. Um, They certainly would have qualified for Euro 2008 had you had a midfield that had Michael Carrick as its anchor pitching between both the defence and the attack. And that was 2007-08, Michael Carrick um, when he was, what, 25 years old as well. So the injuries got on top of him later on, but there was that period from when he was like 20 when he was at Spurs, pretty much until he was about 31, 32. And this is the other thing about Carrick. He hardly ever seemed to get injured for mm. such a long time. Um, you know, Rio Ferdinand was an one for a long period of time, didn't get injured. Denny Sermon Dennis hardly ever got
0: injured. Um, I think that's know, one thing actually in my team, and probably the same for yours, not many of these players got injured regularly.
1: No, I think you're only looking at mine, you're looking at Parker... Um, Keane had a couple of bad injuries in terms of his hip and his knee, but most of the time, Keane didn't get injured that much. He never got small injuries or anything like that. He oh, probably he played did, on. yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> Man, just just, just look at Is that just... a fracture, Roy? Is that a fractured arm you've got there? Oh, it's nothing. I'll go and play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the The tweets we got this week. With the teams, I, think, I believe you won as well. Um, Chris Draper has gone with Peter Schmeichel, a back four, of Gary Neville Village, Stam, and Erwin and scores midfield, then Ronaldo, Robson, and Giggs further forward, touched off a of Rob or Ruben Nistroy up front. Um, yeah. Delight to see Ruud in there, but I, I, I again, I, I stressing that these are obviously players that Chris has seen play live. Um, yeah, again, but there's not many. From that, you can disagree with. Again, you know, again, like I, st- I stressed to you before the podcast, you can't disagree with these because it's their opinion. It's, it's there's reasons. I'm sure Chris has named some of these players that might appeal to him that he remembers from watching these players live. Um, another tweet that came in was from Ter- Terry Travis. He's gone with Schmeichel in goal as well. Gary Neville, Sam, Rio and Erwin at, at the back four. Again, the same. In midfield, he's gone with Beckham, Robson, Keane, and Giggs. Up front, Ronaldo and Van Nistelrooy. That's a good.
1: I, that's a good, strong team that as well. Yeah, yeah. I like that the, team.
0: the only problem you're going to have there is trying to build the bond between your front two and Ronaldo and, and Van Nistelrooy. They didn't really see eye to eye at Old Trafford. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you got a team to read out, Mike? Yes. Yeah, so a uh, good friend of mine, fairly
1: listens to this podcast. Um, again he's he's gone really he's gone with plays that he's seen it's the most ludicrously attacking team I think I've ever seen in my life but he's put Van der in goal as well and he's gone for a back three of Stan Vidic and Irwin now Irwin could play centre half and yeah. that's not an unreasonable guy to have in there at the back three and then he's just gone mad in the midfield I mean it's like a 3-4-1-2 you've got like Keane and Scholes yeah that's okay that actually provides you some cover like for your defence and then you've got Giggs and Beckham operating almost as wing-backs. I could kind of see that, actually. Um, And then you've got Rooney playing behind Cantona and Van Nistelrooy, which is... um, Good good luck, good? The the one thing I'll say about that front three is that um, they'll beat you in every department. Uh, They'll beat you technically. If you want to have a fight with them, they'll fight you and they'll beat you in a fight as well. Um, I mean, I really wouldn't fancy... You think it's bad enough? i Rini and Cantona cancer in there, and then you got Van Nistelrooy in there as well. <laughs> um, but so but for how t-
0: attacking it is, he's gone. He's gone with the same as you, as no Ronaldo.
1: I know he's got Ronaldo on the bench, um, and uh, yeah, but he's that's a few people who put Van Nistelrooy in there. Yeah, and I get knows. it. Like I said, he's not even on my bench, but I totally get why he's in there because that was an absolute monster. I I feel like. He's overshadowed a little bit because he was playing at the same time as Thierry Henry, which I kind of understand. Thierry Henry is one of the best players I've ever seen, even though I used to hate him. I hated if, him.
0: If, if you look at Van Nistelrooy's time at Manchester United, and you look at what he won, he, he didn't win enough. For no, a how he, good he was. They only started winning titles, really, again when after he'd left and Ronaldo took over the show. But I also
1: think he's better than certain, um, and I'm not going to name names here, I'll just refer to them as um, award-winning football writer Jonathan Wilson knock-off tribute acts who write for um, The Athletic, um, who basically don't rate Van Nistelrooy that high at all. But then these are the same people who apparently think Roy Keane didn't have a good game in the Champions League semi-final in 1999. Tell that to the eventers players who played against him. Fucking idiot.
0: (laughs) <laughs> exactly, it's a mirror,
1: Michael Cox. Take a long, hard look at yourself.
0: <laughs> it, 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 look, Twitter, Twitter is full of that as well. It's full of these bomb or just crazy opinions. It's a new trend I've seen on Twitter, and we roll about it on the podcast this week because. Yeah, but no also, one gives
1: those people book deals. This guy got a book yeah, deal somehow.
0: Yeah, but it, but but also you, look at other people. Paris Hilton, they say controversial things, and they're fucking they're they're big celebs they're in the media and stuff but but on, on twitter you've seen these unpopular opinion threads right it's it's the biggest load of shit um on social media at the moment so basically someone sits down with their phone and they think of something fucking outrageous it's not their opinion it's just something they know it's going to cause outrage and it was one this week with, with Marcus Rashford and why he was the he why he is the most overrated player in the Premier League yeah, the statistics
1: disagree. By the, st- the way,
0: everyone disagrees. Statistics, but just the numbers.
1: Everything. Just the numbers alone. Forget what you see with your eyes. Yes. the stats will show you that. The stats will show you how good he is for his age. He's one of the best. Uh, how old is Manchester now? 20, Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yeah. So he's one of the best under twenty-three players in the world.
0: In the world, and also no, no one just disputes that. He uses in his argument to explain why he's not. He's 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 overrated. Is he he hasn't scored the same amount of goals as Neymar now, so I'm laughing here reading this that he's he shit apparently. Um, he also says that Joshua King is better, but you still have to go and compare him to to Neymar, one Joshua of the best who? players. Jo- Joshua King is better because he's outscored him. The I, I know, I
1: know, I know he is. I'm being very very glib at this point. But it's
0: just Nay it's who? Fucking... Nay who? Was he the guy moaning on the touchline last year? <laughs> but you see, there you go. If you want if you want to build Twitter followers an account just share shit opinions and you might even get a book deal
1: here's a controversial opinion Neymar's the most overrated player in the world there's your controversial opinion for-
0: right we're going to let that to, to the Twitter followers to, to react to Neymar is the most overrated player in the world and that might spark off a different own I'm not saying he's a bad player
1: I'm just saying there's better players than him in fact there's better players in his own team than him
0: yeah, no, I, th- I think so. I think one of them is, is a younger player, too, Mbappe. And I think that's a player that I think if you want to compare Rashford to, I mean, his his, his development, I'd be hoping that Rashford becomes a, a player like Mbappe, who's still fucking very, very young and is going to be one of the best players in the world as well. But yeah, that's this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. The video, full video of this podcast will be on Patreon. So that's patreon.com forward slash straight News. Make sure you subscribe to the Stretty Cast on your favorite. Um, podcast platform. Actually saying that, i actually surprised looking at the, the listens that we get um, each week. The majority, 40%, are listening on Apple Podcasts. So if you let us know on, on Twitter what your preferred platform is, it Spotify, is it Apple Podcasts, it'll help us then when we're branding the podcast, to when we're sharing links that it opens up in your preferred player rather than all up different apps. So that might help us be less of a pain in the arse. But anyway, we'll see you again during the week. On Patreon, there's a video coming every day, Monday to Friday. This will be Thursday's video. Um, And tomorrow we'll have something new up. Right, until then, see you again soon. Thanks for listening.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.